mariners and pioneers. Uh, we're about to say bye-bye summer, the summer that never was. Um, but let's look on the positive side. And all these other fruits are coming into play and vegetables and meat's always around. And the other thing we found this winter, spring and summer, all of it for that matter, is, is how you can exist without having to go to the store. Yeah, so, <laughs> we're so that, working on that. So that's a theme for today's program. This this is called You Can Live High on the Hog Without Having to Go to the Store. Which is... I'm the hogs another whole story. There you go. We'll do that another day. But, but, what, but what, what, what about lobster from Maine? That sounds pretty sexy. Yeah, I was talking to a friend. She said, I can't believe that you've got live lobsters, FedEx, and there's the truth. We did. We yeah. did. And you, and, you, and you can too. You can too. And, and here's, we're here's, going to talk to... Uh, Marianne, Marianne Lacroix, and she's going to tell Marianne Lacroix, who is the um, uh, director of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. And she's and going to tell you how you can do it for yourself. Exactly, and all the stuff, other stuff they have. Marianne Lacroix, what a great job you have. <laughs> you have access to all those lobster fishermen, right? Yes, thank you. Um, promoting Maine Lobster is, is really, a, it is a great job. I've got a great product to work with. Right. And um, the official title of, of your organization is the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. And it's that's what it is. It is a collaborative of, uh, of lobster fishermen, right? Exactly. We have over 4,000 active lobster fishermen in Maine that all uh, support the Marketing Collaborative, as well as over 300 uh, lobster dealers and processors in the state. Wow. That's a lot. They're all part of the same organization. Yes, yes. So we represent the entire industry, both lobstermen, dealers, and processors. Now, when did this all start? When did you come together? There's been a marketing program in place since the early 19, uh, 1990s, about 1991. And uh-huh. then um, in, in 2013, the organization was restructured and refinanced. Our, our board structure changed a little bit, and uh, the name changed at that time to the, to the Marketing Collaborative. Right. Now, and, what, um, what, 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 what was it that, that caused the people involved to say, well, we, we we really need to do something different. Yes, that's a good question. Back in the early 90s, we had started catching a little bit more lobster. So historically, okay. we generally caught between 20 and 30 million pounds of lobster a year. And that's a good amount of lobster, but it was fairly a local product. So a lot of it was consumed in Maine, you know, throughout the tourist season or shipped to nearby markets like in Boston and New York. And Mm -hmm. in the 1990s, we started catching more lobster. Um, You know, not every year. It's a wild fishery, so it varies. But there was definitely an upward trend of lobster being caught. So the industry started looking at this and saying, we need to explore new markets for Maine Lobster, and that's where marketing comes in. So the group got together and formed our, our marketing uh, collaborative. Now, in, in, a, in a way, the, a lot of the members are competitors, aren't they? I mean, how, how does that all work out? Yes, it's interesting because there's, there's competition and there's also cooperation within the industry. So um, people might, two different companies might, you know, 
be competing for a same client, but they also might be working together. We might have one dealer that supplies a, a grocery chain with live lobster, and another dealer is supplying them with uh, lobster meat or lobster tails. And sometimes um, one one dealer will buy lobster from another dealer if they have a big customer that they can't supply with their, you know, with the own product that they're getting from fishermen. So there's there's a lot of competition and a lot of cooperation within the industry. Yeah, there's 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 a huge tradition of the lobster sandwich. What what do they call it? Lobster roll. The lobster, <laughs> the lobster roll. Right. Uh, so Everybody's are, mad for lobster rolls. <laughs> so there are lobster rolls everywhere. Yeah, it's a really popular product, and, and with the pandemic where people are able to get out less, a lot of companies are doing lobster roll kits so that you can um, order all the, the components and make your lobster rolls at home. So you don't have to you don't have to miss them even if you can't get out to a restaurant right now. Well, you you took care of us with that too. Yeah, the the uh, people. Well, let, let's say that um, people do not realize that you could actually order lobster products, including live products, I mean live lobsters, and get it direct, delivered directly to your house. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I mean, actually, live lobster can be shipped. Um, lobster can be out of the water for a few days as long as it's kept cold and damp. So lobster can be shipped anywhere in the U.S., and on our website, lobsterformaine.com, we have a list of companies that ship direct to consumers to your house. And so that's a great resource if you're looking for some product. And as you mentioned, you can get live lobster. We have a lot of people that are traditional and like to work with the, with the whole live lobster and use all the component parts. Or if you're looking for something a little different, there's also a lot of products available now. So you can order cooked lobster meat, which is one of my favorites because it's very easy to use. You can just, you know, buy some buns and you've got lobster rolls ready to go or um, put it into a pasta or risotto. There's also lobster tails, which are a great product um, it, when they're in the lobster meat in the shell. That's a great product for grilling in the summer. Yeah, and they come frozen. So the, the, the meat is not, the pet meat is not frozen. You can get it either fresh or frozen. Oh, I see. I, okay. I, I the wonderful, the one, myself. The wonderful part about it is somebody did all the work. Exactly. That's what I like about it. I love. I love. I love that. <laughs> See, I enjoy I actually working with a lot with the whole lobster. Oh, well, it's a it's a matter of it's, it's a matter a process. of process. Right? It's like I like I like artichokes, whole artichokes too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's process. But um, the the um, you on your first of all, why don't we just make sure everybody can jot down the um, website. LobsterFromMaine.com. Okay, and and what do you do if you want to order lobster? Do you look up and see who does what? I mean, there's so many. How do you pick who to order from? Well, that's a matter of personal preference. On our website, you can just click the Buy Lobster button, and there's a tab for uh, companies that ship lobster direct to people's homes. And you can go on, and there's a little description of each company, and just you know pick one that that works for you. And there, there's there's you know there's smaller companies, there are bigger companies. Um, some just do one product, some do a whole range of products, and there's some companies that even do. Um, 
uh, sort of what we call value-added products, maybe like a lobster mac and cheese or um, uh, stews and that kind of thing, so you can get already prepared meals. We we got a bib (laughs) and a magnet (laughs) to the refrigerator. (laughs) But the the most wonderful thing was uh, when I unpacked the the top of the, the, uh, the styrofoam container, um, the the live lobsters were at the bottom, and they were kept moist with um, dampened newspaper and seaweed. And, and the one waved to me, <laughs> so I said, "You must have had a good trip." <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good when when you get a lobster that's perky like that. That's a really good sign that it's done well on its trip. Oh yeah, and and there's nothing like that kind of freshness that you can get. I mean, it, there are places where you can go and they have lobsters in tanks. It's just not the same thing as getting them shipped directly from Maine. No, well, the, 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 yes. the, the ones that they uh, sent, they, 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 they arrived in the morning, having been shipped the day before, and uh, they, were the still, before, they, were, yeah. they were still frisky when we took them, when we took them out of the styrofoam container and to cook them for dinner. Yeah. We we have a restaurant in town that um, he is originally from Maine, and I don't know uh, who he uses to buy them, but um, he has a regular lobster night. You know, he does the whole thing. He does the, the clams, the lobster, the corn on the cob, you know. And, um, uh, and just before the pandemic, he was going to have it. Uh, he knows so much. I love that. He sent an email saying he was going to do it every Friday, which certainly wouldn't. Of course, everybody got um, locked away, locked down, so we never got to do that. But um, there's a huge market for this, and it brings me to another question, um, which is I keep reading different things, opposite things, about the lobster fishing industry. I, on one hand, there's somebody said that um, since the waters were warming, the lobsters were going up to Canada rather than to Maine. Uh, another story that there was such a, a glut of lobster on the market that it wasn't worthwhile anybody going out with their traps or, or anything like that. Um, and then they, another um article I read that said lobster prices were so cheap that it didn't pay for some of the fishermen to actually take their boats out. And I don't know what is the exact, what is the answer? Where are we with this? I noticed that our local uh, good fish store, uh, the lobster price never comes down, never. Yes, and it's an interesting year for us. We were obviously very concerned when the pandemic hit because a lot of lobster, probably the majority of lobster being sold is consumed in restaurants typically in a typical year. So obviously with the, all the uncertainty around restaurants this year, we were concerned about you know our season, which is our high season is the summer and fall. So we had a little time to prepare for it. And knowing that, a lot of the companies in in Maine made sure that they were um, working with their retail customers and supermarkets and fish markets to make sure that they would be carrying lobster this year. And there has been a 
big increase in demand from consumers buying lobster to cook at home. This is obviously right. since so many people are cooking at home this year. Um, so the, the, the prices, it, it's, I think, a good value this year. One of the challenges is that um, there's additional protocols in place in seafood processing facilities, like all food processing facilities this year, that increase the cost of doing business. So I don't oh, know yeah. if the pricing necessarily makes it to, uh, you know, I don't know that consumers would necessarily be seeing the savings uh, or the full savings, you know, this year because it's just more expensive. There's, um, especially for live lobster, there's fewer planes flying, so it's harder to get cargo space on uh, on flights, you know, to send the live lobster. So everything this year in the supply chain is being impacted, and a lot of that comes with a price tag attached to it. Yes, the eye, I mean, even the dentist, there's a surcharge of my dentist and the extra protocol. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And as far as the warming water goes, that's an interest. That's a different topic and a very interesting one because I mentioned back in the early 90s when we got going, we had started catching more lobsters then. And one of the reasons is that with as waters warm up, um, there's a there's more um, space for lobsters for the younger lobsters. It's a good habitat for them to grow in. So we have seen a boom in Maine lobster over the past couple decades and we anticipate so we've been catching over 100 million pounds of lobster for the last 10 years and wow. we'll have to see if that keeps going i mean it, at a certain point if it gets too warm the lobsters will be moving farther offshore and that that changes the you know the structure of the fishery because we primarily fish near shore so we'll have to see what happens but the the fishery uh, and lobstermen do work closely with scientists and regulators and you know note changes in the environment and you know, try and work to adjust to to those changes as they come around it's it's certainly nothing um that'll happen overnight this is a long term process so nothing's actually changed majorly in the industry lately Nothing's changed. We're still, like I said last year, we caught over uh, just over 100 million pounds of lobster, so it's still um, quite above our historic norms of 20 to 30 million pounds. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, of course, I mean, I spend a lot of time on the shore, so I'm, I'm pretty much comfortable with um, dealing with live lobsters. Um, a lot of people aren't, though, so you, you send all these instructions with the lobster, which is very useful. Release the yes. supplier did. And we do have all that on our website as well. So we have, and that's okay. actually our most popular um, section is we have instructions on boiling and steaming live lobster, and we have little videos uh, to show how to do it. And that tends to be our, our most visited part of the site. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's something that if you grow up on the shore, especially the northeast, um, it's it's just something you grow up with, you know, and for others it's very foreign. And and, and then we had that um, the piece. What's his name? The author who killed himself. I'm considered the lobster. Yes, David. Yeah, David yeah. something Wallace, wasn't it? No? Yeah, Foster Wallace. Yep. Yeah, you're Wallace, you're yeah. very familiar with it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was a brilliant piece. <laughs> well, why, why, don't, why don't we let people in on the secret? They used to feed lobsters to the prisoners in the yeah. in confinement. Yep. Yeah, those were the days, huh? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it is interesting if you grow up on the coast. I had my daughter in the office one day, and she was looking through some of our materials and saying, "Why do Why do you have these instructions for how to crack a lobster?" And I said, oh, not, "Not everybody knows how to do that." <laughs> she 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 knew enough to, to do it from a young age, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it, so. In our family, there's a tradition that by age five, you had your first whole lobster. And um, so, I mean, I remember going out for my first lobster when I was five. And um, uh, Adam, her son, I wasn't sure he was going to do it because I used to take him to the fish store and, and he used to pet the lobsters in the tank. You know, they are to their backs and things. <laughs> and, and, but, and I thought, he's never going to eat this lobster. But um, they, they send you um, placemats with the instructions on how to crack and everything. And it, turned, it coincided with the fact that he was very proud that he had learned to read. And so he was very distracted. Oh. He loved it too. In, in the meantime, you have to understand, Marianne, his, his mother was hanging around hoping that she'd get to eat too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I found that kids like lobster. It's, you know, it's a very sweet flavor. So it is. It tends to be, uh, you know, it appeals to adults, but it appeals to kids as well oftentimes. Yeah, well, this is going to be, I mean, our grandchildren have not, one is 11 and the other one is 13, and they've not yet had their own whole lobster. It makes me crazy. They're in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was planning on doing ship, that this year. Hmm? Yeah. But um, you can't travel, so <laughs> you can't do anything. Um, well, what else should we know about this? It's easy. It's delicious. It's fresh. It's safe. It's um, you have many options for ordering and delivery, and direct to your door, uh, a range of products you maybe hadn't even thought of, um, it, depending on the supplier that you're ordering from. And um, I, I can't praise your operation enough. Did, did you? Well, thank you. Again, I vaguely recall, did you take over, when did you start working there? I've been here since 2006. 2006. So 14 years. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to remember. I thought that um, last time we interviewed you, you had just started working there, but I can't remember when that was. So, yeah. Well, I think it's more recent than that. But, yeah, I think um, so, too. Yeah, I think so. Well, everybody is, is so polite and and. and there and everybody, and you've, you've hit a marketing trend that I think we're not going to get back to the way we shop for food ever. I don't think um, after this initial um, mess is over with, people are still going to be ordering, and their market is going to be direct to you, the consumer online. I think. I mean, well, one thing we're one thing, thing we're interested in seeing is the um, you know people uh, this year 
cooking lobster at home and preparing it and adding it to dishes, then that's something hopefully they'll be comfortable with moving forward and might try even when we, you know, restaurants do reopen something. Maybe they'll eat more frequently because they can eat it at home. So we're hoping to, you know, get more people more comfortable, get the home cook more comfortable with lobster and, and preparing it at home and hopefully see that continue. Plus, plus you, you can get people into a... You can get people into a lobster habit. Knowing, exactly. Knowing that you don't need to decide, like, three three weeks from now, I'm going to have a lobster. You could say, I feel like lobster tomorrow. Yes. And and with with the with the with the wonders of your organization and the internet, you can have it tomorrow. Yes, and one thing I didn't mention is the um, the frozen uh, lobster meat and tail. Some of the different products can be bought frozen, which I like. They're flash frozen, so they're frozen solid in under 20 minutes. So the, the flavor and texture is preserved very, very well. And then that's a great product that you can just have in your freezer, and it's defrost quickly, and it's easy, you know, it's easy and ready to go. So I've been relying on that because, you know, we don't go um, to the market very much this year, so it's, it, it is a great product to have available. Well, we, we wish you a prosperous season. We hope lots of these little buggers make it on the road and people enjoy them. And uh, we certainly thank you for helping us out with something that we could try because it was fun, right, sweetheart? Yeah, I, I'm, yeah I, I'm never going to have that habit of lobster, but I've, I've taken the liking soft shell lobster too. But oh, you get that is the sweetest. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, good, it's a good. wonderful organization. And again, uh, listeners, uh, go on the website and Main Lobster Marketing Collaborative and uh, look up what you want and who provides it and order. And don't be shy. Thank Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, somehow we managed, I don't know how we did, to make for this pandemic smoked salmon, a central part of our pantry stock. Um, and we have a contact for you if you want to do the same. And it's a wonderful company called Seabear. And we're going to be talking to Mike Mondello about all the things you can order and have delivered. Easy to do. Very easy and tasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, <laughs> are you there? No, I yes. am here. Yes. Um Mike uh, is the CEO. Were you the founder, Mike, or not? Uh, I was not. It was founded back in 1957 by a local fisherman, and I, I joined in 1996. Oh, so, so I've been here for a while. So it's been around a long time, huh? It sure has. Uh, we have a, a long, rich history here in the Pacific Northwest. It was founded in Anacortes, Washington, which is a, uh, a waterfront village about 75 miles north of Seattle. And uh, oh, the smokehouse okay. uh, remains remains in that same town, still doing everything uh, everything by hand, doing it uh, in traditional Northwest ways. So, yeah, we've been here for a long time, long, uh, rich, rich heritage. 
Now, listeners, I should mention we're talking to Mike Mondello, and his company that we're talking about is called Sea Bear. And uh, describe, you said it started a long time ago, and it's really involving um, this, the heart of the whole operation is the smokehouse, right? That's exactly right. Uh, we sell a wide range of uh, specialty high-end seafood offerings on our website, seabear.com, but the heart and soul of the company today and always has been uh, smoked salmon. Uh, as I said, so we started back in 1957. Um, we are an authentic, small, small-batch uh, custom smokehouse, so we're doing doing things by hand. We're doing them in small batches so we can watch the quality all the way through. Um, it is uh, grounded in Pacific Northwest smoked salmon and the, the traditions of the Northwest, so it's a moist, flaky, fully cooked smoked salmon. But we also do a very high-end lox that's served in uh, restaurants up and down the West Coast and in other places around the country uh, when uh, uh, under our Gerard Dominique brand. That brand joined our family back in 2008. So today, whether your preference is uh, the Northwest style or the lox style, we've got uh, two very, very high-end, authentic uh, okay. offerings. Now, what about the scallops? The scallops, we adore the scallops. We thought they were oh, I, that's one of our favorites. Yeah, we love yeah. the scallops. So those are uh, those are Alaskan weather vane scallops. They're diver caught, uh, really amazing scallops. And then we smoke them in the same process we use to smoke our Northwest salmon. Um, and if you uh, so you've had them, they're, we call them the seafood candy because they're so they got that little sweetness behind them. Most people oh, have never beautiful. had a smoked scallop. Um, we love serving them just as is, or you can toss them in a pan for a few seconds with some olive oil just to give them a little bit of heat. Um, the chefs, we sell a lot of those to restaurants, and chefs use them on like spinach salads or tossing them with uh, fettuccine. We had one chef in Los Angeles tell us that he put them on his uh, Bloody Mary bar as a condiment. There oh, that'd Bloody be Mary's. great. Yeah, yeah, they're they're among our favorites, yep. Right. Um, the... Uh I originally was trying to reach Chef Dominique uh-huh. place, who um, you said he's partially retired or what? And how does he, he fit in with this story? Sure. Well, he uh, so when when Gerard and Dominique became part of Sea Bear back in 2008. Dominique and his wife, Shu, joined us and were working full-time and, and did that for, I think, three, four years and then have um, have stepped back. They've bought a place on Whidbey Island, which is a beautiful island out here. In the uh, oh, boy, and we know it. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know it. Yeah, so they're, yeah. they're enjoying life yeah, who's, there. Who's the guy who has a restaurant there? There's a guy who has a wonderful restaurant on Whidbey Island. Oh, yeah. uh, well, there's the Captain Whidbey Inn, if that's one of the ones you're thinking about. Uh, but... The, but he's uh, so he's retired that way. But we bring him in for projects, and uh, he certainly is still very involved with the brand. Uh, he does some new product development work for us, and of course, anytime uh, we have things we want to talk about in evolving our processes, we always involve Dominique. Uh, he's a great friend of the company. You know, you, you probably have experienced a huge market shift with this pandemic, haven't you? We most certainly have, and uh, you know, knock on wood for us at the smokehouse, it's been uh, net positive. But uh, the shift is that uh, our direct-to-consumer business uh, online at seabear.com has really exploded as people yeah. shop from home. 
Uh, and we've done a lot of things that I think are really smart to uh, to help fuel that and offered a lot of uh, some, some really cool things over the months. Uh, our restaurant business, of course, for several months there went to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's picking a little bit back up now, but, you know, it's uh, it's a slow to come back. And then our yeah, grocery we're here store, in, we in, some Most places have a limited capacity, and with a, a slim margin anyhow, usually, yes. uh, it yes. just is unlikely that restaurants can survive. Most. Yeah, it's, it's it's really it's really hard for them. We uh, you know there's a few that are have uh, pivoted pretty hard and done a good job with uh, takeout, but you know it's really hard for that segment now. So that's that's that part of our business has, of course, uh, almost entirely dried up in the last four months. But mm-hmm. uh, but the, what the website has, uh, as I said, just exploded, and it's been really cool because it's both our current customers, people that we've worked with for years, and a lot of new folks uh, willing to try uh, and experiment with uh, food direct. And, you know, one of the things we really celebrate is that when you're shopping with us, you're getting direct from the smokehouse, right? So we're, we're smoking it or we're creating these products, and then it's coming straight from the source, and that comes back to our, uh, our authenticity that we believe is so important for our artisan food. Our UPS driver think, thinks on, on, the, on the days when he has a delivery, he thinks how glad he is that we order all this stuff because that's his job. <laughs> Yes. The other, the other days are the days, the days when the wine comes, and he has a big box that weighs fifty pounds. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, we're uh, we're ha- we're uh, been pleased with people shopping online, but nobody's happier than UPS and FedEx, right? They're doing a lot of business these days. <laughs> they are. They are indeed. Well, if you have shifted your um, your your process of them. Uh, Marketing and also delivering, uh, like with an eye that this might be almost permanent, or do you view it as just a temporary shift? No, I don't view it that way at all. We've always done direct to consumer. That's always uh, our website's always been an important part of what we do, and so it's really been just um, you know increasing it, right? And we don't think it's going to go away at all uh, for two reasons. I think. People have seen uh, they they've seen how it is a convenience for them, right? Um, who knows how long safety concerns will be around? But even when they subside, we think people have experienced a lot of really good things shopping online for for specialty foods. There's an element of discovery too, right? I mean, and people are discovering really cool, interesting foods and beverages from around the country. And they're accessing direct, direct from the source, like I was saying earlier about uh, our customers. And so that's certainly not going to go away. We believe uh, we believe this was a tipping point that will uh, change the way people shop forever. Okay, right. so you feel very fortunate to have been around while this was happening, huh? We do. I mean, you know, we're all uh, we're working hard. <laughs> we're happy to be working <laughs> sure, hard. Sure. Uh, we're spending a ton of time making sure. Our team is safe, and uh, and uh, uh, that's an obviously critically important. So it's uh, it's probably the hardest I've seen. I've been at Seabury like uh, since 1996, and this is the hardest I've ever worked. Um, and but we're you know we're enjoying the opportunity to do that. Uh, we feel terrible for our friends in the restaurant business, and uh, oh, so we have yeah. been. I don't think yeah, we've been working with that. Back. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're, we're working with the ones that uh, we've worked with for a long time that. Try and you know change some of our you know make it easier for them to 
begin to open back up and stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, we we do uh, we do feel fortunate and um, uh, we're thrilled that our customers have uh, turned to us for some uh, interesting meals. Uh, yeah, who, do, who does the fi- who does the fishing, Mike? Do you, do you, so do you we buy, we're not in the, we're, yes ahead. we do we we're not in the fishing business we uh, we buy from a range of of uh, sources uh, over the years we know you know everybody and um, what we tend to work we, we work with a group of maybe uh, on on average about four or five primary suppliers who over the years have really come to know what we look for. You know, we're selling a very high-end product, and uh, you can't have great food without great raw material. So we demand spectacular salmon or halibut or crab, whatever it is we're buying. And we're a small, you know, we're a small artisan smokehouse, so we go in with extremely high standards and specs, and yet we don't buy anywhere near the amounts from these folks that, you know, the big grocers or big distributors buy. So... Uh, it's been self-selecting over the years. Uh, we have found that group of folks who are proud to work with a company like ours, and so they're willing to do a lot of work for us, even though we don't buy a lot. And uh, and then we stick with those folks because uh, they deliver the quality. So yeah, that, that's how we get our fish and our crab and, and everything. Now, are they are they wild or are they farmed or are they both? Um, well, under the Sea Bear brand, that brand uh, uses wild salmon from the Pacific uh-huh, okay. and always has. Uh, the Gerard and Dominique brand uh, uh, in the Lox line uses both wild and farm. Dominique, the story that started that brand was uh, Dominique and his friend Gerard were two uh, acclaimed French chefs who trained over in Europe. They couldn't find the smoked salmon, a lox style smoked salmon, serving their own restaurants that they loved, and so they created one. And eventually, other chefs tasted it and kind of asked them to sell, and that's how the brand created. So we talk about it as created by chefs for chefs, and it really was. And so they did that, that initial salmon, that initial smoked salmon was done with a a very high-end, responsibly uh, grown farm salmon, because the great locks that you'll taste in Europe are overwhelmingly farmed. The fish is fatty, and it's perfect for smoking uh, in the lock style. And so that's been the Gerard and Dominique signature for years. Now, we buy from very responsible farms. Uh, as we say to everybody, you know, whole food sells farm salmon. It depends on if you're buying from a responsible source or not. Uh, but we look to buy from deep water farms that are well-managed and not, uh, you know, do the right things. Yeah, I remember we talked to one smoked salmon maker. Of all things, he was from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and, and uh-huh. he said, for, for, for my purpose, for what I like, I prefer to use farm salmon because I like the consistency better. Uh-huh. Which is kind so, of yeah, there's a, interesting. There's a consistency. Absolutely, there's a consistency. Um, we don't, uh, one of our philosophies that has guided us forever is we don't believe of any type of salmon is a better or best. They're all different. Right. right. And we say yeah, it's just different. like wine, yeah. right? Yeah, so wild salmon has a more robust, gamier flavor. Um, we absolutely love wild salmon on the grill. We wouldn't do anything other than that. We love wild salmon for that traditional Northwest smoking approach. Uh, it's perfect for that. Uh, and for lox, we love the, uh, the farm salmon uh, because, again, it, it delivers a texture and a, uh, a mouthfeel you simply can't get out of any other type of salmon. So, 
it's not that one's better or best. They're all different. Depends what you like, and it depends how you're using it. And uh, so we actually we use all five types of wild Pacific salmon. We use uh, Atlantic salmon, and um, uh, again, uh, we just put them up with the right kind of products. Yeah, we we went to last time we were in Ireland. We we made mm-hmm. a, a migrate a pilgrimage almost to a place mm-hmm. called Connemara Smokehouse. Oh, oh yeah, I tried to go there last year. They were closed. Oh, oh no. no that, it's yeah, wonderful. Was it cool? Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely of, super. Yeah, the son of the founder is now in charge. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he says, I look at every single fish that comes into my shop. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know how he does that, to tell you the he's truth. In the, he's, he's in the process of, teach, of teaching his son the same tricks, the same things yeah. that... He looks for. Oh, you, you, you should, all I can say is, if you're in, if you're serious about the smoke salmon business, <laughs> you ought to go there. I mean, well, he tried, but it was closed. That's right. It's really, it's yeah. worth, it's worth the, it's worth the journey, and it will take you a long time to get there. <laughs> no, I know. That's why we tried to go. We were in the general area, but well, I guess we'll have to make another trip back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much at the end of the road. The, the, resi- the um, restaurants are having, um, like I've heard a lot from our friends, um, we always cover that um, food on the edge in Galway, and our restaurateur mm-hmm. and chef friends are having a rough time. They're, apparently, the Irish government is not doing enough to um, to meet the crisis, and uh, yeah. uh, this one chef, he's been in the same location for 20 years, and he's facing an eviction. And it was on a oh. lease that was renegotiated only five years ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds very cruel. I don't know what they think they're doing. Business uh, is business, right, as they say. I don't know. Sometimes it's not. But, but you know, the, um, the style of smoking uh, differs place to place, too. And it's what we found um, England, in England, particularly around uh, where Peter's brother and his family live in Cornwall, uh, the smokehouses do much lighter smoking. Well, mm-hmm. especially it was mackerel, too, I remember. They didn't do it's salmon, good. they did mackerel. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they didn't do salmon, of course, because they wouldn't have access to salmon. But yeah. I'm just saying that if you take smoked mackerel or trout from one of those smokehouses and compare it to what we get here in the States, from your usual smokehouse, there's a much different smoking, much lighter oh, no, over I, there. I know you yes. always you always said that, love, and I I totally I totally agreed with you. My brother says, unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to to find the good quality artisan yeah. smoked mackerel, and I don't know why. Maybe maybe you just can't make a living at it anymore. Yeah. I don't know. We uh, we believe. Uh, you're right. Well, first of all, you're right. I mean, in smokehouse to smokehouse, the level of smoke and, of course, the woods used will vary. Our, our philosophy, uh, and Dominique shares this as well for the locks, is that uh, a light smoke is better because the hero should be the salmon. And we taste so many smoked salmon where what you get hit with is smoke, and then you taste the salmon. And we don't think that's right. Um, we had a chef. We were... Um, talking to who said, you know, the, the salmon should be the host of the party and the smoke should be the guests. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and, and, we, and we agree with that. I think that's, uh, you know, we, we try and hit that, 
that perfect point where the smoke helps celebrate the salmon, right? Uh, and so that's a function of how much smoke we put on. It's also a function of the woods we use. Uh, we prefer a blend uh, that is uh, a proprietary mix of fruit woods and hardwoods, so there's not an instantly discernible oak or maple or, or anything like that. It's this, it's this really nice complex blend, and we think that's the right way to do it. We, we, had, a, we had a sad moment in the smoked salmon law of smoked salmon about three months ago. For some reason, whole, our local Whole Foods decided to carry whole sides of smoked salmon. Santa Barbara, Smith. Santa Barbara, and, they, uh-huh. and it was not 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 only was it a whole side, but it was was also on discount and a calf price. <laughs> so, so, so we bought wow. we we bought in series probably half a dozen, and we ate them just the two of us. Oh, wow! <laughs> Over a period of time, not all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, we we ate, we ate the whole thing. <laughs> and and now they stopped buying it. <laughs> no, no, it's not on the shelf anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, and, you bought them out, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Santa Barbara doesn't appear to have an online ordering system, so I don't know. But well, listen, I'm glad you're doing well, and um, we have interviewed some Seattle restaurateurs, um, like we interviewed Mark uh, Canvas. And uh, they're doing a really creative job of switching over um, what they're serving and offering. And you know, from going from five yes. dining, fine dining to takeout is pretty major. <laughs> yeah, they're doing takeout. They've put on uh, movie nights where people come there. They've had a yeah, right. Night, I think it was. They, they're yeah, doing they're bingo again <laughs> after yeah. late night bingo. I think. Yeah. Very, very, so. very, very fun. Yes, they've been very smart. Well, it's a wonder. It's a wonderful thing to to, to hear someone someone who's happy with their business climate. We 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 hope for your sake that it that it continues, and that you go Thank from you. strength to strength. I have I have a feeling that that that's something that we can assume. So, if if we're in your neighborhood, uh, we'll we'll come by. And in the meantime, oh, please the meantime, do. Don't, forget, us know. don't forget to go to Ireland. Uh, we won't forget that. Yes, please drop by. We'll take your picture with the Big King Salmon, if you'd like, at the Smokehouse. And, of course, you can always shop on seabear.com. So thank you for uh, thank you for interest and having a chance to talk today. Great. Thank you so much. And for our final segment, don't forget that you get all these great goodies by mail, but you still have to eat your greens. And in this case, we're talking salad greens. Um, do you know what robotany is? <laughs> Clever. Uh, Chris Cerveni is going to talk to us about fifth season fresh. Well, I mean, he'll tell you all about it. It's uh, an amazing you, you, operation. You actually, won't, you actually won't believe it. You'll have, no. to, you'll have to listen carefully. You might even want to listen to it a second time because this is a truly remarkable intersection of doing good in Western Pennsylvania applying the great stuff that's taught and researched at Carnegie Mellon University right here. And then Chris is the well, head of Grow R&D. Right, right. Not no. Grow, but I got, I got it wrong. Yeah. It's no, called, no, 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 no. no what, what's Fifth he called? Fifth Season Fresh. Fifth Season company. Fresh. He is the head of the growing, think of it as that, 
growth, research, and development, how you grow all these things. Okay. I'll just follow your lead. Yeah. Yeah, Anne's going to say hello, Chris. Yeah. In a minute. I don't know what she's doing. She must have gone to sleep. Well, I'm, I'm trying to have an opening to introduce Chris Cervaney. Um Chris Cervaney, you have a very unique operation, and it's practically in our backyard, so I'm really thrilled to be talking to you. Um, your company is Fifth Season Fresh. Um, let's start with, like, go back to you and two buddies. We're in a robotics class at Carnegie Mellon University. Is that correct? So, yeah, so it was – well, I am, I'm not the CEO. I think you're referring to our, our founder, Austin. Uh, but we did have – we have some Carnegie uh, Mellon – Carnegie Mellon roots in our company, and it was formed in in the classroom uh, during Austin's uh, MBA at Carnegie Mellon, um, uh, and it was founded as Robotney, and uh, it was the intersection. Which is, of, if listeners picture it, it's R O then a capital B O T O N Y Robotney, and then when he tells you what this company does, you'll get how clever that is. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so thank. Thank you. So it is the intersection of robotics and plant growing. And we are what uh, the industry calls a vertical farm. We are an indoor growing facility where we grow leafy greens and herbs in a hydroponic setting. That means hydroponics is growing without soil. Um, But we grow in these stacked shelves of growing plants that go from floor to the ceiling in a warehouse. Uh, And we're able to grow uh, a lot of produce in a very small amount of space right here in Pittsburgh. In Braddock, right? Absolutely, yes, in Braddock, just outside of the city. Right. Um, this apparently is I mean, it's becoming very popular, This um, the, the indoor urban farms, actually, is what it is, right? An urban farm? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's, it's an urban farm. farm. Yeah, and do you know Garden Rising or Garden Rises? Yeah, uh, they're one of our neighbors. Oh, is that one of your neighbors? I think so. Because they sell the setup. I mean, you can buy the the actual furniture or whatever. It's not furniture, but you know what I mean, the physical plant for growing, for setting up one of these urban farms oh gosh maybe i'm thinking of something else uh-huh this is yeah this is so garden. let me explain let me let me describe a little bit of our setup to help yeah paint that's the what i want to know i, I know want you is, to take the yeah, ball sure. and run with it <laughs> yeah, absolutely so this is kind of i i, I know i might got a radio audience so let me try to paint a picture for you so the best way i can describe it is if you can picture a baker's rack so a baker's rack is like a, a, a rolling rack with shelves that are layered on top of each other. And then on the baker's rack, on the bottom of each pan, is a row of lights that shines down on the pan below it. Mm-hmm. And on those shelves is where we would grow our plants. Now, our scale is much larger than a baker's rack, but it gives you the idea that when we say vertical farming, it's not literally vertical. It's not farming uh, upside down. It's actually farming horizontally, but we, we stacks of 
the fields, if you will, on top of each other, and that we grow in these sort of containers in uh, flat planters using um, a specially designed potting mix, and, uh, and and then we grow them in this stacked format that allows us to um, grow uh, with the plant stacked on top of each other. So we use LED lights, and we use um, water uh, to help grow the plants with nutrients dissolved in the water. Yeah, just to, just to expand on that, just so I get it right as well, you you need two things for plants to be able to grow in any environment. One is nutrition in the form of some kind of compost or an artificial fertilizer, and the other thing is light. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Except you, you don't I use mean, dirt. You use water. It's aquaponics, rabbit. So yeah, yeah, we, got it. We, we don't use soil from the ground, but we use a, yeah. a natural. It's it's very much like potting mix. It's it's a it's a it looks like dirt. It's a potting mix that we use, and we like that uh, because it's compostable and renewable, and um, it. it it's something that we can do. We work with a local composting facility to help recycle uh, that media that we use. But, yes, we – so plants don't actually need soil to grow. They use soil to secure themselves to the ground, and they need something to support the root structure. But then out in nature, that soil also contains uh, pulverized minerals. That's where the compost or the the, nutri- the nutrients, the ground minerals in the soil um, – they weather over time and become available to plants when they're watered. And we all know that plants get their energy from the sun through photosynthesis. And, uh, but what folks may not realize is that through photosynthesis, that's just sugar. That's how the plants get their sugar. And we know uh, when you eat food, you can't just survive on sugar. Well, I guess you could, but you wouldn't be that healthy. It's the nutrients that are needed to help the plant photosynthesize optimally. So the idea is, even though they get their energy from sun, they still need nutrients uh, to be able to, to grow effectively. And so we provide all those nutrients in the water that we provide to the plants. The nutrients undergo a process. It's, it's natural uh, mined minerals from the earth, but they go through a process that helps make them available, essentially pulverizing them uh, to make them dissolve in water. And then the plants take up those nutrients, and then they use lights that we provide um, in the form of, of LED lighting um, for the plants to grow. And we have those tuned in to specialized, basically it's a rainbow of colors in our growing area that helps bring out the best of the plants. So it helps bring out the best color and flavor and growth characteristics that we care about. You know, I had one in my kitchen, but it was so small that I never got enough of anything to actually use it. I mean, yeah, what, what, what was it called? We we gave it to Frank eventually, didn't we? We gave it to Frank. We gave it to a friend. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It came from. It was a grow? It was a, wasn't grow light, but it was something like that. No, it wasn't grow. And you got you got like a kit. Yeah, and had little plugs of stuff you put in and. Um, different herbs and things like that, but I never got. So we grow quantity. the same way. It's very, it's a very similar process, but we actually we grow we grow a lot. <laughs> so yeah, it's so much you, more the farming space, scale. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a big build. You have a big building, huh? We do. Uh, our our um, production area is about the size of a of a half acre of a footprint of, of growing space. 
but that translates into three to five acres of farmland if you were to spread it out. So that gives you an mm-hmm. idea of the scale of how it stacks on top of each other that we can ma- really maximize the amount of space that we grow. Are you near uh, Superior Motors? We are, right around the corner, yep. Okay. Um, some of this, I know about the, um, I, I know about your, I can't run well. No, I don't know about your, where the robots come in yet. Um, tell me, uh, what, where the robots come in? So the whole facility is designed with uh, robotics in various fashions. And the robots do things, uh, basically that's my job. I'm the head of Grow R&D, and I um, spend a lot of time with, with my team help working out what we call our Grow Recipes. But they're effectively the way that we teach the robots to grow the plants. And so what I like to say is that um, if you've ever grown plants in your garden, you know there is certainly there's science involved, but there's very much an art to growing plants. And so what we try to do is take the art of growing plants and turn it into a paint-by-numbers that we then teach to the robots so they can repeat the process. You um, should we teach it to it me. I can't grow anything. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. Maybe I need your, your, your class. Hold on, and... hold on a minute. I, I have an important question. Okay. Can you teach robots to weed? Because <laughs> we cause, the nice thing in our the nice thing in our farm is there are no weeds. There's only there no weeds yeah. uh, that we grow. Would you like it? Would you like a few just to test on? <laughs> we are, well, we you are, know, when, we have well, plenty spares. We we have uh, this season has been so bizarre. Anyhow, uh, you know, we we have um, a, a tons of purslane for. <laughs> if you need any purslane for your salad mix, um, well, okay. Yeah, let's I, go. I, do you have you yeah. had it before? I love purslane. I think it's so it's really an interesting flavor and uh, texture. I heard you can make pesto out of it, but I haven't tried that yet. I've just used it in salads. But we, so we I, mean, I picked we... that up in Europe. I mean, you pay, it's a very pricey salad in Europe and the UK could, particularly. Sweetheart, we could do like a pick-your-own for Chris. <laughs> yeah, you could, <laughs> you could send his robots over and, and, and have him pick some, pick the pick some purslane. Okay, now, Chris, let's back up a little bit here now. So we have the robots, and we have the um, uh, um, urban farm, vertical, indoors. Um, Where did the interest in the food come in? How did you get involved with production of food? Well, my background is I started out in – I've been in horticulture for over 25 years uh, in various research uh, formats, and I have a Ph.D. in horticulture. But all my work was previously done in flowers. Uh, I just really love ornamental plants and the beauty of horticulture. And um, it was just through kind of changes in career direction that I kind of stumbled into food. I mean, naturally, we all eat, and I'm a foodie. Uh, as a hobby, and I just love eating. And then one day I just realized, why am I, why am I still going after flowers? I want to go after, after salads. And I really just started uh, changing my career focus to try to find um, better tasting uh, greens. And I still think very much the ornamental piece of growing flowers helps with these salads because I, I think, I mean, this is relatable. We all eat with our eyes. If it doesn't look good, we're hesitant to try it, but if it looks beautiful, we want to taste it, and uh, and then it's really fun to put the the science and the art behind uh, those plants to help them not just look good but taste good as well. Yeah, so, I've been ordering. 
I've been ordering from Her- um, Chef's Garden in, in Huron. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they they because of the, the uh, I've known um, the, them for years and years. But anyhow, uh, because of the pandemic, they've started yeah. offering boxes to direct to consumers instead of just to chefs. So uh, we've been so we've been feeding ourselves during the pandemic with vegetables from from Huron, Ohio, from Chef's Garden, and the only the only problem we have is that we, we couldn't get the humans who were filling our order to read the section where it said, we don't want any more carrots. <laughs> but um, I started to say, they, every order comes with a, a little uh, packet, a little plastic clamshell of um, edible flowers, and, and it's mm. wonderful. I mean, they're, all, they're gorgeous. Yeah. So we've, so, still got, um, we've still got a lot of carrots, and there's only, there's only so many carrots you can eat. I'm, I'm still right. trying to figure <laughs> out, Chris, how did you, how did you end up in, in robotics, and your background is in food, and I'm, I was looking for the connection from the robotics to food, and now I'm looking for the connection from food to robotics. So, yeah, I mean, in our facility, we use, the, the thing with robotics is the efficiency that it provides. Yeah. Um, for those that don't live in the area, I want to paint a little bit of a picture of what Braddock is and kind of what the state of things in Braddock, and then I'm going to answer your question about the robotics and why this okay, is a good thing. Okay, great. Um, so, so we are in the shadow of one of Andrew Carnegie's original steel mills right here in Braddock. It's one of the last... Um, full-size functioning steel mills in the Monongahela Valley, and it is a monster. It is, like, and you know what? It, it overshadows the garden. It supplies half of the food on the on Superior Motors. <laughs> so a, a dining companion said, let me know what's growing in that garden, and I don't want any of it in my dinner. <laughs> So exactly, and that's what I'm that's what I'm building to say because this is the poster child of what a steel mill looks like. If you can imagine it, uh, that's what this place is. It looks like it's got clouds billowing out of the smokestacks uh, all the time, and it is over uh-huh. there rumbling and groaning, and it's it is really something. But we are right next door in the state of the art vertical farm that is built on efficiency. We use 95% less water than growing in the ground, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I already talked about the the space saving that we have, and then the robots help us with automation. So the the robots are, are involved with all aspects of growing, from the lights to growing the lights to moving the plants to sowing the seeds, transplanting, harvesting, packaging, and every step along the way where we have a robot integrated our facility, we have a human operator because uh, we think it's really important that when you build in a community, and I'm going to explain this a little bit in a second too, but when you, when you are in a community like this, and Braddock was uh, a, a, bump, a bumping town about 100 years ago when the steel industry was really big around Pittsburgh, and uh, this, that's when the, when the steel started to move out and they went and they started to get more um, mechanized in steel production. A lot of the jobs in Braddock uh, went away and it's a, a bit of a ghost town for, for yes. lack of a better word. There's just a lot of abandoned houses and buildings and it's a depressed community. Um, and so we, when we built this factory, we, you know, we could 
we could build it entirely automated, but that doesn't make sense. It's more that we want to be able to provide in the community uh, jobs and fresh food. So we're bringing both of those things to an area that's really needed. So we have human operators that help control or that run the robots at various stages of the farm operation, and they're strategically put out there. So there's places where you want a human uh, in, and that's like in quality roles and customer service, quality judging, you know, is this produce good um, or, or is there a problem? Um, th- th- we want a person there. We want a person where we put it into a package. We want a person that can talk on the phone uh, to customers. We want a person to help deliver the produce. And so we have people at various stages, but then we have high degree of automation that makes this um, growing experience sort of sort of work. Uh, because in a facility like this, like you said, we're in the shadow of a steel mill and you wouldn't want to eat it outside. But inside our facility, you know, all the air is filtered, the water is filtered. Um, anything that leaves our facility is cleaner than it went in because we have to have it that way to grow here um, effectively. Right. Now, you're interested in salad. I mean, are you going to um, – right now, you grow spinach, um Mixed greens and mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, specialty salad greens, and then you also have like salad kits. Yeah. And now, yeah. whose whose idea was that? I mean, is there a demand for salad kits? So our original vision was to grow these um, these, these box salads. So you can make your own, and then there are a lot. They're very much a, a they're they're. They're different because they taste really good. These are greens that you can't usually get in the market. Um, specialty greens is probably the best way to, to say it, but similar to like you were talking about the Chef's Garden uh, site, they have specialty things that chefs would cook with, and that's what we grow. Um, and and they're, that still involves making your own salad, but then this, you know, with everything happening with, with COVID and, and the coronavirus, um, people have been, uh, you know, not wanting to go out of their homes and not wanting to leave and not wanting to necessarily prepare all these things. And because we have this um, state-of-the-art clean environment, we can make these salad kits that are safe and they're ready to go, and they make it really convenient and easy to try these new greens that maybe you've never experienced before and have some of these flavors and um, and have access to, to healthy food and have it all be ready to go in a in a um, properly portioned uh, size. So, yeah, people love Well, you're really part of the future because I think that this is where we're going to be. I mean, I th- we've helped um, promote so many businesses that had been restaurant only or chef only, uh, going directly to the um, retail consumer home delivery. And I don't know that it's ever going to go back. That's exactly what we're doing, too. We're going That's we're right what to I'm saying. As yeah. well with the delivery and we appreciate the support because it is it is, uh, it, it is a new time. We're kind of exploring kind of uncharted territory here. Now, is, your, is the person who originally was your partner, is he, is he involved with you still? I mean, did, oh, yeah. Did he, did he very, go on with that? Yes. The, uh, yeah, the team is still here, and we're still um, very much um, a, a small group of uh, entrepreneurs excited to – change the salad world. Actually, now, you're only you're going to oh, stick to salads, huh? There was, there, was a particular, there was a particular reason I was going in that direction. Okay, go ahead. Because there's a point I want to make go that ahead. I think sure. Chris will be interested in. I, I served on the board of directors 
of the CMU management game for about 15 years. Oh, wow. So That's great. All, the, all these incredibly bright young people who were spending their life's fortune on an education at the Tepper School of Management <laughs> Pre- <Wow>. pre- presented <laughs> to people like me who were just boring business executives. But I, I wondered, because the, sto- the story goes that a gentleman called Fred Smith wrote a paper at the Harvard Business School about a company called Federal Express that he wanted to create, and they failed him. <laughs> so, so he created he created a totally winning concept, and the and the faculty failed him. I, I wondered I wondered what the Tepper faculty thought of your robotic vegetables. Well, you know the robotic vegetables, like it's it, it seems uh, kind of like Willy Wonka here sometimes that we're doing this weird this weird thing there's there's a certain amount of magic and mystery to it but it's um it's just it's modern farming it's it's there's it's a lot of technical stuff that's involved with a farm like this with uh, the technology involved the robotics and and everything but it is still at the end of the day it is still natural farming just done in in a different way yeah well um does does it help does it help world hunger i guess i guess in a variety of different ways, it does. It does. Well, it, it depends on the solution. And, and, you know, I was describing this steel mill and being here in this land, and this is one of the things that I think gets me fired up is when I think about land that you wouldn't otherwise use for growing plants, you can do with a facility like this. So you think about urban sprawl and you think about communities all over the world that are overpopulated and there's no farmland around to grow plants no. anymore. And the ground that's there is no longer arable. It's polluted. And and, uh, and and a good solution is a farm like ours that where you build up from the ground in these vertical um, racks where we grow off of the ground in a controlled environment where there's all the air and water is filtered um, and everything's protected. So we can grow safely in an environment where, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to grow outside. And that, that doesn't just apply to here in Braddock. That applies to anywhere in the world where, uh, urban populations exist. So I absolutely think that we have, can make an impact. They did a demonstration, a demo of that at the, the Milano Expo, Expo Milano, a couple of years ago, um, with the growing wall, and they supplied all of the restaurants in part of that exposition uh, with the vegetables grown on, on vertical, on the, I think it was our pavilion. Anyhow, um, jot down gardens rising because that's the, um, I keep calling it furniture, it's not furniture, the uh, physical structure for the kind of farm you're talking about. Um, My question to you is, are you expanding what you grow or or are you going to strictly um, limit what you're doing? So we are constantly testing new varieties to grow. Um, I, and yes, we're expanding. I mean, we're focusing on salads right now and we're trying to find out what the right product mix is to help, uh, keep our, our customers happy. Uh, because I think, um, I, I like a, a variety of flavors, but uh, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, you get tired of eating the same things all the time. And I think it's important to have a variety in our, our offering that we provide. Um, right. but, but I mean, like, would like, you jump it to, to tomatoes, for example? So tomatoes could absolutely be grown in a facility like ours. You can grow tomatoes, peppers, fruit, uh, 
fruit like strawberries. Uh, oh, you're going to do that leaves. too. Great. You can grow uh, leafy greens and herbs and those things. I mean, I think we're going to stick with salad for now, but the sky is the limit in terms of uh, things that we could try. And we, so I mean, down the line, you might do different things. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, tell well, me want- this. Who, what market are you going after? I mean, how are you marketing this, and what is the process for actually ordering these? I mean, where do you deliver to? I don't know what your parameters in, of your market are. Yeah, right now you can go, um, you can find us uh, online at fitseasonfresh.com, and you can order directly from our website. Now, we're only delivering to the Pittsburgh uh, community right now because uh, that's where this farm is in Pittsburgh. It's in, Braddock is right outside. Sure, of sure, Braddock. Uh, yeah, but sure. We're right here in town, and, and if you are in the Pittsburgh uh, area, you can order directly on our website. It's fifthseasonfresh.com. Uh, that's where you get the salads, uh, the kits, and the the uh, traditional salads where you can make your own right from that website. Uh, we're also available at some local uh, grocery stores, and we hope to be in a community, uh, in communities across the U.S. Uh, soon. Right, right, so you're, right. you're going to expand uh, – across the country yeah that's the idea we're it's very much uh, a local uh, farm and we want to build these facilities in other cities uh, similar to Pittsburgh that can use um, fresh jobs or fresh food and jobs in areas that need them and I think there's a lot of places across the country where we can fit do you actually deliver Chris I I, I missed that I missed that part yes we do we do deliver uh, directly to to our customers that you order off our website as long as you're in the Pittsburgh area We'll bring the salad over to your place. So, but there what you're go. saying is that you're, when you expand, you will uh, replicate your operation in Pittsburgh to other communities across the country that have the same needs in terms of um, workforce and uh, food deserts and that sort of thing. Absolutely. That's right. Great. Well, that's wonderful. Well, um, it's it's happening. I mean, it's, it, it is happening, and I think that uh, it's, it's much needed. Um, we've been experimenting a lot with connections to local farmers, uh, and, and that's been kind of fraught with, with um, difficulties, um, just getting product moved. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what, what works and what doesn't, what doesn't work and what works is, is delivery. Being able well, to order something online yeah. and and then and and get it and get it reliably, with, without without having to count on a system which is broken. I mean, we we had the most terrible time trying to get trying to order groceries right after the pandemic started. I mean, you could you could try to get a delivery slot at Whole Foods, where I must have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years, and and the, they had no capacity to be able to process an order. And actually get it into a vehicle and get it to your house. Well, their, their system yeah. was not made for that. Their their business plan was not designed for that. No, but it's really frustrating and hard. But that's the key. That's the the key. The key is people are willing to pay a premium if something shows up. And that's why I asked. I think it Chris starts, question about I think it delivery. With a, I think Go it ahead. starts with a product that people want. I think it starts with a product that people want. 
And I think that's the important thing that we have. If I do, you know, I, naturally I'm biased toward our, our produce, but I, I think our, our produce is something, once you taste it, you can't believe the difference in what we're growing here. When you eat it the day of harvest, how fresh and delicious it is. And that's even better when we can bring it right to your door. And so I think that's it. We have a great product and right, we have a service right. design to be able to bring it to you. And you can find us in grocery stores too. We're in local local grocery stores around the Pittsburgh area. But uh, if you're if you're like me and you're not going out right now uh, to those grocery stores, you can have this. We can deliver it right to your house in a contact-free delivery uh, method. Um, and we just send you a text and let you know that it's arrived. And you can go outside and get it load it in your fridge, and eat it at your convenience. That's it. That's, just, that's exactly how it works. He's a man who talks like a problem solver. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's fifthseasonfresh.com, and uh, we're talking to the CEO of this much-anticipated much company, um, Chris Cervini. Cervini, excuse me, and um, I, I look to follow you and see how how you manage to grow this, um, and, and the idea that you're going to serve other um, necessary issues such as food deserts and unemployment and all, it's just wonderful. So much Thank you. success to you, Chris, and, and uh, I'm so glad we encountered you. And thank you for being thank part you. of On The Menu Radio. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sweetheart, for joining, you, joining me producing yet, yet another wonderful program. We hope you'll join us again same time, same place next week. And until then... Bye-bye.